Well, we're in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Moving right along with our study of this letter. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So also, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. I want to remind you of what, where we are in the book of Ephesians and, and what we looked at last week, just in case you weren't here. But I want to go ahead and just and say this up front, that I recognize and acknowledge that what I've just read to you and the things that we're going to talk about today are absolutely rejected by the world system around us. God has a design for marriage and for the home that is rooted in his own nature, his own character. It's grounded in creation itself. And the world, because the world hates God, the world hates God's design for that most intimate of relationships, the relationship between a husband and a wife. And just a couple of things I want to point out that are taken for granted in this passage and others in the Bible that deal with marriage because of God's order in creation. A couple of things here. One, it is a marriage between one man and one woman. The scriptures are clear that that is God's design for marriage. He created Adam and he created Eve in the Garden of Eden and he created them male and female in the image of God. And that was his plan. That was how he put them together. And people will say, well, that was the Old Testament. That may be what things were like then, but Jesus never addressed marriage himself. Well, read your New Testament again, because Jesus himself, in referencing marriage, says and quotes the scriptures that God created them, male and female, in his own image. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Jesus himself said that. And Jesus, don't forget, is God. So if it was said in the Old Testament, Jesus still believed it because guess what? He said it. This is the word of God. And so now we come to the book of Ephesians and Paul is teaching in this second half about how to walk worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus. 
Just in this one chapter we've looked at so far, we've seen how we are to walk in love in the first seven verses, how we are to walk in light in verses 8 through 14, and then verses 15 on through 21, how to walk in wisdom. And there when he's teaching us about walking in wisdom, there is another hinge in this book on which everything else turns, that verse 18 where he gives the command, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And I just want to give you some reminders about what we talked about last week, in case you weren't here. What being filled with the Spirit is not. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not the same as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Every person who has been born again, everybody who's been saved, has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. That is how we entered into our union with Christ. By the baptism of the Holy Spirit, at the moment of your conversion, you were united with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are one with Him. He is in you and you are in Him. So the, the filling of the Spirit isn't that. The filling of the Spirit is not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside you right now. He is with you always. He is the Spirit of Christ, and He will never leave. And that is the possession, that is the inheritance of every Christian. So when He gives the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that's not what He's commanding, because you already have that. And just for good measure, we have to say that it is not being filled with the Spirit is not a mere emotional experience. To come to church and to hear a song that you like and to get worked up about it or to hear a sermon that may bring you to tears does not necessarily mean that someone was filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't equate the two. But what we looked at last week, we saw what being filled with the Holy Spirit is. That being filled with the Holy Spirit is not about capacity, but about control. Who or what has control over you? He gives the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit in contrast to the, 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 the command to not be drunk with wine. Don't let that control you. Don't let wine control you or whatever else is in your life that, that has excess and may control you. But instead of being controlled by your flesh and your desires and your preferences, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by, be fully surrendered to, be yielded to the Holy Spirit. He may reside in you. You may abide in Christ by the Holy Spirit. But that does not mean that he has full control of your being, that you have yielded yourself, surrendered yourself to him. That's the command. Be full of the Holy Spirit. It is a present passive imperative verb. It's a command, but it's passive. It's something God has to do in you. But it's a present verb in the sense that it's a continual need. You must be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. You might surrender yourself fully to God today and then tomorrow sin creep into your life. So we must be continually filled with with the Holy Spirit. And then we considered how. How to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think the simplest answer comes from Colossians 3 in that parallel passage where he gives the same description. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell 
in you richly. To dwell in you means it has its home in you. It has its abode. It has free reign over your life. To let the word of God have control of you and shape the way you live and think and speak. And Jesus gave the command in, in Luke 11 to pray. And just as he taught his disciples to pray and gave what we know as the model prayer, he concluded the passage by saying, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if you desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and if you are a Christian, that is a natural desire for you. To be filled with the Spirit, to be fully surrendered to God, you must let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and be devoted to praying and asking God to give this to you. To pray in faith, believing that he will do what he said he would do. In the conclusion of that passage, he showed what it looked like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a lot of introduction, but it's imperative to the continuation of the passage. He says to be filled with the Spirit, verse 19, is to be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing is a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. One pastor made this statement, and I think I said it last week without giving credit to anyone. Dead men don't sing. You can't sing in any spirit-filled way without the life of God in you. If you stand and you hear songs that are true and songs that honor the Lord and you can't bring yourself to move your lips, friend, you may not be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says to sing to one another, to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but also singing to God, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's not about the sound that's coming out of your, your body, but it's about the position of your heart. Are you making melody to God from the heart? You can sing with your lips and not honor the Lord. Also, not only singing, but thanksgiving. Verse 20 says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is being thankful. Hey, it's November. We celebrate a holiday. We like to talk about it uh, between now and then. But it's a year-round experience that if you're full of the Spirit of God, you're going to have a spirit of gratitude. That means you're not going around grumbling about things all the time and complaining and being upset about this and that and everything. But even in the hard things and even in the things you don't like, you find reason to give gratitude, to give thanks to God for his blessings. That's the life that's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing that he says, the result of being filled with the Spirit of God in verse 21 is submission. Submission. He says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And two things you should notice about that. We're submitting to one another. We're putting others before ourselves. We're taking our own desires, our own wills, our own preferences, our own uh, self-worth, and elevating everyone else around us above that. We're submitting ourselves to one another, not just for the sake of being submitted to one another, but submitting ourselves to one another, he says, in the fear of God of the Lord. That is our submission to one another is ultimately submission to God. 
It isn't because everybody around you deserves it. Right? We're all sinners. None of us deserve to be put above anyone else. But we all humble ourselves and submit ourselves to one another because we submit to God and he's filled us with his spirit. Our submission to one another is reflective of our submission to God. And so that's out of this, out of that passage, out of that idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, the rest of this letter flows. Teaching on the relationship of husbands and wives, fathers and their children, servants and masters. Into chapter 6, well into chapter 6, we talk about spiritual warfare. All of that has to be understood in the context of people who are filled with the Spirit of God. Listen. Listen. It is impossible, impossible to conduct ourselves in our relationships or to stand against the attacks of Satan in any way that truly honors God without being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I don't mean to go back and just re-preach last Sunday's sermon, but I want you to get the gravity of this, the weight of it, that in order to live a God-honoring life, you must be, I must be filled with the Spirit of God. On a daily basis, I have to get up in the morning, come to my Bible, hear what God has to say to me from His Word, and before I do anything else, see anybody else that day, I have to say, Lord, here I am, empty me of myself and fill me with the Holy Spirit. I surrender myself completely to you, to your control today. And you know what? By about 10 in the morning, i got to do it again. <laughs> By lunchtime, sometimes I've had an attitude with somebody or something's gotten under my skin or I've sinned in some way and I've got to come back again. And just throughout the day, I'm praying, Lord, just empty me of myself and fill me with the Holy Spirit. And you need to make that a practice of your own, to live with that awareness of God in your life. Live with the awareness of His presence and your constant need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you can't honor Him in any of your relationships. You can't stand against the attacks of Satan without the help of the Holy Spirit. So with that as our foundation, we move on with Paul to make application today to our marriages. The question we want to answer is this, what is God's design for a spirit-filled marriage? And let me say this up front too, there, there's obvious immediate application for those of you who are married. If you're married and you come to a passage about marriage, you say, oh, I better listen and put into practice what God has said. But some of you are, are not married, but you will be someday. So listen up. Learn this stuff early. I praise God for the people who are in my life and the lessons that I learned before I ever even knew who Kelby Rasmussen was. She's going to kick me later for saying her last name up here. Before I ever even met my wife, there were people who invested in me and taught me about what a godly marriage is. There were lessons that I learned from teachers and friends who gave us sort of a head start in things. Now listen, I'm still a slow learner and I'm still figuring it out. We're 10 years in. 
but I'm thankful for the lessons we learned early. So if you're not married yet, take notes. And if you are maybe widowed or at a stage of life where you're sure that you'll never marry, you still need to know what God's word says so that you can edify other Christians, so that you can build up the body of Christ around you, and so that you'll know how to pray for the marriages that are around you. Because we've been commanded to love one another and to build one another up and pray for one another, right? So even if it's not your context, even if it's not your stage of life, you still need to know what God's word says so you can pray for those around you and build them up. So what does a spirit-filled marriage look like? We're going to hit this whole passage in one shot today. Let me give you three characteristics of a spirit-filled marriage. Number one, submission. Submission. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. If I was anybody important, I would have just been canceled for reading that. Because that's not a popular passage. It is a passage that has been abused. Let me just be clear. Men, listen up for a second. You ready? Here's what this verse does not say. The verse does not say, Husbands, ensure that your wives are submissive to you. Wives, can I get an amen? Amen. amen. If there's ever a verse in the Bible where you're allowed to take a nap and snooze through it, it's this one. No application to you. So wives, listen up. This is what the Word of God says. Now this isn't in a vacuum. Remember, we're working through a letter. What does the very verse right before this say? Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. It's a commandment for all Christians to submit to one another because we are submitted to Christ, because we, have, we are submitted to the Lord. Whether you're married or not, we, whether you like each other or not, we're Christians. And so we come to each other with humility and submit ourselves to one another in the fear of the Lord. But there's a very practical application and outworking of that that applies to wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Here's the reason why. Verse 23, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. To submit to your husband doesn't mean that he gets to make all the decisions and he gets to boss you around and that you have absolutely no input whatsoever. The commandment to submit to your husbands does not mean that you are lesser in worth, lesser in value than your husband. God created man and he created woman both equally in his image. Is the husband above the wife in value? Is the husband above the wife in value? No, in no way is that what this verse is trying to communicate. So if that's what you think when you read it, forget it. These, this passage is talking about our roles, our function in the home. You're reflecting the relationship even of the father and the son in the Godhead. Jesus is equal with the Father. He is of the same substance, the same essence as the Father. He is one with the Father. But you know what he did? He submitted himself unto the Father. Did that make Jesus any less than the Father? No. Is he lesser in rank than the Father? No. 
It was his function. It was his role in the Godhead. So it is in the home that a wife is not less than her husband. She is not lesser in value than her husband. She doesn't have a lower rank than her husband because she's given the command to submit. You're given the command to submit to your husband so that you can show how the church submits to Christ. He says in verse 24, just that. He says, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now listen, I get it. Your husband is not Christ. It might be easy to submit to him if he were. But because you are a Christian, because you love the Lord and you submit to Christ in obedience to him, whether you feel your husband's worthy of it or not, you obey God and submit to his authority and his headship in the home. It's obedience to Christ. The second thing, the second characteristic of a spirit-filled marriage is love. Love. You see, we, we read verse 22, 23, and 24 in church, and people go, oh, that's the shocking part in our culture. But can I tell you this? When Paul wrote this, that wasn't the shocking part. For Paul to show up and, and write a letter to Ephesus and say, wives, be submissive to your husbands, they were like, yeah, of course. Here's the part that shocked them. You ready? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That was the shocking part. What are wives good for 2,000 years ago? Having babies, carrying on the family name, meeting the needs of the husband. But then here Paul comes along and he writes to husbands and he gives them a much longer section than he does to the wives. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. But then he looks at the husbands and says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, which is the harder task? Which is the harder duty? To reflect the relationship of the church to Christ by submitting? Or to meet the standard of loving the exact same way that Jesus loved in giving yourself for your wife. Both are impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. You are commanded, husbands, to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It is a sacrificial, giving, selfless kind of love. It's a love that does things that you don't want to do, like me putting up the Christmas tree yesterday. <laughs> Guys, it's November the 5th. Martin Luther's hanging the 95 Theses on October 31st, and then November 1st, y'all are hanging Christmas wreaths. That doesn't mean you have to put your Christmas tree up to love your wife, but it's a... So <laughs> That's just been my burden this week, okay? Y'all bear with me. Just airing it out here in the church. Love your wives sacrificially and give yourself for her. Here's the speech that I give guys before they get married or shortly after they get married. How did Jesus love you? Did Jesus love you while you were good and could offer him everything he ever wanted out of you? 
Did he love you while you were sinless, while you were perfect? Did he love you while you were beautiful? No, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved you even though you were a rebellious, filthy, low-down, rotten sinner. He gave himself for you. Laid down his very life in the most brutal way possible so that you could be forgiven and be saved. That's the way God loved you. So you know how you are to love your wives, husbands? You are to love your wives even when she's being a rebellious, low-down, filthy, rotten sinner who doesn't offer you a thing. Now, none of you have wives that meet that qualification, but the point is the same. Love your wives sacrificially. Lay down your life for her. Love her the way Jesus loved the church. Now, listen, there's not just the responsibility to lay down your life and to give yourself up for her, but verse 27, you have a spiritual responsibility for your wife as well. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Jesus died for you, not just so that he could show his love and not just so that he could save you from hell, but Jesus died for you and he saved you so that throughout your life he could be perfecting you and making you more like himself so that one day he can present you as a gift to the Father, perfect, spotless, without blemish. Did you know that, Christian? That's what God is doing in you. Husbands, that is your responsibility for your wife and for your family. To be a spiritual leader in the home. Not just be a decision maker, not just be a breadwinner. But friends, listen, men, listen. To be the spiritual leader who keeps God's word in front of his family who makes sure that the family is present consistently in church, who makes sure the family is being obedient to God and His Word, no matter what's happening in culture around them. You are the priority setter in your home. And can I just go ahead and tell you, wives, be ready to say amen. Your wife would love it if you did that. Set the standard. This is a house that is built on God's word. We're following Jesus. That is our priority. Open the Bible every day with your family. That's a high standard. Can I just be honest with you? I don't, get, I don't get it every day. If we get four or five times a week, we're doing really good. And I praise God for that. But that ought to be the goal, the standard, to build our lives, to build our homes around the word of God, that one day, not only may Christ present his church to God without spot and without wrinkle, without blemish, but you may, be, you may be able to present your wife holy and her being spiritually better because she had you as her husband. That's what God's design is for marriage. Guess what? You can't do it. You need to be filled with the spirit. He says in verse 28, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I don't really like to hear people say happy wife, happy life, but that almost fits in verse 28 there. He who loves his wife loves himself. If you know what's good for you, love your wife. Show it. Let me just tell you something really practical. You know this. You know this. It doesn't matter if she says she doesn't care about flowers. 
if she says she doesn't care a thing about jewelry and she doesn't need the sweets. Guys, listen. Just do it. I spend uh, at least one day a week downtown in Pilot Mountain, and I spend part of the day uh, working on my, my sermon in the coffee shop there. It's a good place to witness and have gospel conversations. And so while I'm downtown most weeks, not every week, most weeks before I leave, I pack up my Bible and my notebook and get it in my bag, and I'm ready to go. But before I get in the truck to drive back home, I walk down to the other end of Main Street to live for sweets, and I spend a stupid amount of money on some baked good. I mean, $3 for one cookie. That's just, come on. And I go home and I bring it, and she'll say, I really don't need this. But you know what? She loves it. Not because of the cookie, not because of the, you know, the cake sickle or whatever it is that got brought home, but because I took the time to put the thought into doing something for her. Husbands, it ain't about what you buy, it ain't, what about what you, it ain't about what you bring home. It's about loving your wife and being thoughtful towards her. Giving of yourself. And guess what? If you love your wife, you're loving yourself. You're taking care of yourself too. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. There we go again, submitting ourselves to one another. Just as much as you would take care of your own needs, just as much as you would meet your own desires, meet hers. Take care of your wife. Verse 30 says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So what are the characteristics of a spirit-filled marriage? We've got submission, we have love, and we have reflection. We have reflection. Verse 31 says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Your marriage has a mission. Your marriage isn't about your own happiness. Your marriage isn't about continuing your family name. Your marriage isn't about your life goals. Your marriage, as a Christian marriage, has the mission of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your marriage is intended by God. This is God's purpose for marriage. It's intended by God to reflect the relationship between Jesus and his church. We ought to conduct ourselves in our homes and love our wives and submit to our husbands in such a way that people look at us and recognize it as something different, something that stands apart from the world, something that has God's blessing on it, so that when they ask why, we can say what? Because Jesus loved his church this much, that he would die for our sins, that he would rise from the dead, and that we would submit ourselves back to him. Did you know that Jesus loves you that way? That even though you were a sinner, Christ died for your sins? That he took, his, took your punishment on himself on the cross, he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead, defeating death, so that you could have your sins forgiven 
so that you could be washed and made clean and one day you could stand before God and have a right standing. And you can live your life in submission to him. Recognizing him, yes, one with him by the Holy Spirit, but recognizing him as your head, the one you follow, loving him all your days. Your marriage is intended to reflect the gospel of Jesus. Now here's the thing. If we asked your neighbors if your marriage reflected the gospel of Jesus, what would they say? What kind of message are we preaching in how we conduct ourselves in our homes? What kind of message are we preaching in the way we love one another and submit to one another and how we follow the Lord? Friends, your marriage isn't just for you. Your marriage is there to glorify God, to honor him in all things. A spirit-filled marriage reflects the gospel through submission and love. Now listen, in both of these things, submission and love, submission as wives, love as husbands, listen, you are called to be obedient regardless of what your husband or wife does. You're called to be obedient regardless of what your husband or wife does. One book that I read before we ever got married that, that was a great help to me was called Love and Respect by Emerson Egrich, I believe is his name. And he talks about this crazy cycle. He said, women need to be loved by their husbands. Men need to be respected by their wives. And because a husband does not love his wife well, she doesn't respect him. And because she doesn't respect him well, he doesn't show love to her. And so it's this constant cycle. And at some point, somebody has to stop and say, regardless of what I'm getting out of this, I'm going to give what God has called me to give. The wife can step out and say, I'm breaking the cycle. I will respect my husband and I will submit to him and his leadership in the home, even if he's not the most loving person I know. Or the husband needs to step out. And husbands, I encourage you to be the leader in this and step out and say, I'm going to love my wife and I'm going to lavish my love on her and I'm going to give myself for her, even if she treats me like dirt. Because that's what God's called me to do. You're called to be obedient regardless of what your husband or wife does. One analogy that, that, that Dr. Egrich gave was uh, like two people standing on each other's oxygen lines and looking at each other and saying, I'll take my foot off of yours if you'll take your foot off of mine. What's going to happen if you stand there long enough? You're both going to die. And so some of you are standing on your wife's line of love because you don't feel like you're getting the respect that you deserve. Or some of you may be standing on your husband's line of respect because you don't feel like he's loving you the way that he ought to. But if you stand there long enough, you're both going to die. That marriage will die. At some point, somebody has to be obedient to God and say, you know what, I'm going to give what I'm called to give regardless of what I get back. Because listen, in every way that your husband or your wife fails to meet your needs, Jesus never fails. If you feel like you're not getting the respect that you're due from your wife, for one, you need to repent of that attitude. But Jesus said, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And if you humble yourself before God, listen, you will have the recognition that you, that, of a Christian on Judgment Day. When you stand before God in his kingdom, if you have humbled yourself before him, you will be exalted, regardless of what you got from your wife. God loves you and set his affection on you. Wives, if you don't feel like you're getting the love that you need from your husband, you're probably not because he's not perfect. 
But in every way that you're not getting the love that you need from your husband, guess what? Jesus loves you infinitely. And because Jesus loves you, you can be obedient to him, regardless of what your husband is like. These are hard things. These are things that you can't do on your own. Your relationship with Him, with Jesus, and being filled with His Spirit is the key to living out your role in marriage in a God-honoring way. And so we're going to pray. And you reflect on where you stand first in your relationship with the Lord. Are you submitting to Him? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And if you're not, I guarantee you it's showing itself in your home. And we need to repent and be obedient to what God has called us to be and to do. Would you bow with me? Father, your word is true. And it's exactly what we need. I pray that you would apply it to our lives in each individual person. The way that you know we need. Bring us to repentance for the ways we've sinned against you and even against our own husband or wife. And I pray that we would be and do everything that you've called us to, regardless of what we get in return, because we want to honor you in our lives and in our marriages. I pray right now for the marriages in this church that you would strengthen them. Where there is trouble, Lord, I pray that you would bring resolution. Where there's conflict, I pray that you would bring peace. And I pray that each one would look to his own relationship with you first and be obedient personally by investing 100% in their marriage, whether they're getting anything back or not. Lord, we love you and we praise you for Jesus, who is always faithful. When our spouses are not, Lord, we can rest in you. And we pray for your help. In Jesus' name.